0: of on. There we go. Didn't realize I left it on that whole time. So uh, I know for me, I know I look better. I got a Batman mask. That gets a lot of comments, which is a lot of fun. But thank you for being willing to do that to make possible us to gather together today. I know it's uh, uncomfortable and it's not as good to sing through a mask as it is to sing without one. Um, It's hard to drink coffee with a mask on. Uh, I recommend pulling it down first by the way. It might be a little weird. But uh, thank you for doing that once again. Something I've enjoyed doing over the years by the way, I'm Paul. Glad you're here. But something I've enjoyed doing over the years uh, ever since I was about 15 years old is cycling. And I don't mean like riding to my friend's house. I mean like the full, the get up and everything, the helmet and trying to go as fast as you can for a certain amount of miles. And it really all started because when I was 15, I wasn't allowed to drive yet. And there was somewhere I really needed to go there was this girl I needed to go see every now and then. And my parents wouldn't let me uh, go unless, well, I kind of, they wouldn't let me go. So I would ride my bike, tell them I was on a bike ride, and I'd take a rest at this particular house. But that started this lifelong hobby of um, being a cyclist. And something I've learned is that you never underestimate a hill. You can't always see the entire hill from the bottom right? We got some cyclists right here, right? You never underestimate a hill. So there's this one place I lived in Texas and I would, I, the first time I rode it, I didn't think it was any big deal. I started riding up and it has this curve in it. And then you get to this curve and it kind of keeps going up this way, kind of like a switchback. And then when I got to this one, I thought, oh man, I've done it. I was able to make it all the way up the hill. And then it turned and I realized I was only halfway up. There's no way there's a hill that big in Texas, but there was. And so uh, I never underestimated that hill again. And what's the temptation? When you get to the top of a hill after a ride like that, what's the temptation when you crest the hill? <sighs> right, you just, wanna, you just wanna relax and coast. You've earned it. You fought your way up that hill, you kept the pedals moving, and you topped that hill and you just wanna coast down the other side. Well, if you've ever watched real cyclists, like in races or on TV, they never rest. They get to the crest of that hill, they change gears, and they start pedaling even harder to get that momentum because they know that next section is just as important to keep that speed going, to keep that momentum going as it is as you, as you climb up that hill. Well, I kind of feel like as a church, we've been on a little bit of a hill ride the last 18 months. And every time we think we're getting to the top we turn the corner, and there's another section of the hill. And we turn that corner, and there's another section of the hill. We're, we were grinding through planting the church in Minden and all of the hard work that that took, and all the great things that God was doing. And then we realized we were going to have an issue with our current location because of the lease. And so we started talking about well, what are we going to do? How's this going to work? we got to make a decision. This lease is ending. Are we going to extend it? Are we going to do something different? And we felt like God wanted us to bring everyone back together as we prayed through and, and thought about that. So we brought all the men and people back together. We had a plan of knocking out the wall, renting the space next door that had been empty for four years. Seemed obvious, right? You'd think the landlord would want to rent that to us and start making money instead of it being his own storage space. But um, that fell apart after a couple of weeks, as soon as we announced it to everyone, basically. uh, That plan fell apart and made us look like we didn't know what we were doing. But that was another turn and and another uphill. And then there was a location just over uh, across town this way a little ways, an older church that came up for sale, and we felt like God wanted us to put an offer on that property and the more we looked into it, the more we realized how many things we'd have to do just to be ready to start the renovations, that the, the things the city would require for us to be able to upgrade that property. And then they found asbestos on the inspection, and so then that was a pretty quick no. That's not what God wanted for us. And then God led us here, and we didn't know how that was going to be accomplished. We had no idea. Um, how God would bring that together. It was another hill. It was another turn, and yet we continued to go up. And now here we are, sitting in this space, some of you, some people online, but sitting in this space, worshiping together after this long journey. If you'd have told me two years we would be here, I would not have believed you. But yet, here we are. And this journey we've been on has been a tough one. This hill we've been climbing, this building that God so graciously and miraculously provided for us is like the crest of the hill. It's like we've gotten to the top and now we have a choice. Have we earned a rest? Have we earned a coast down the other side of the hill? Or does God have something else in mind? Does God want us to kick it into a different gear and gain momentum as we go down the hill? Just like a professional cyclist would. You see, I don't think building this building is the end. I think it's just the beginning. I think it's a starting line, not an ending point. We're cresting the hill and we've got nothing but opportunity before us as we look to allow God to use us to fulfill his purposes. And as we've walked through the book of Nehemiah, over and over, I have seen parallels with where we are as a church. It's been amazing that God led us Uh, to that particular book of the Bible during this season of of what's going on. Um, Because Nehemiah is leading through a little building project of his own, right? It's actually a really big building project to get that wall redone around the city of Jerusalem. He's dealing with all kinds of setbacks, all kinds of distractions, and he reaches the point of completion in chapter 6, verse 15. It says, so the wall was completed on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days, that's a miracle. This wall that had been in rubble for 70 years, this wall that had been destroyed, had been sitting there. Nehemiah came back, and they rebuilt it in 52 days. It's a miracle. As we look over the events of these next couple of chapters, I want us to think about uh, bigger than just the events that we read, bigger than just those moments in time. It's no coincidence that God has us in this passage on this day. Well, what can we learn from how Nehemiah leads the people of God after the project's complete, right after they finished the wall? The whole reason they had come back from Babylon, come out of captivity after 70 years was to complete this wall. They finished it, so what now? And I think God wants to answer that same critical question for us. Here we sit. We finally got the permits. We're able to worship in this room. What now? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for getting us to this point. I thank you for who you are and how you've led and how you've moved and how you've brought together people and resources and expertise and all the things that it takes um, just practically to, to get us to this point today. But God, I pray that we would resist the temptation to feel like we've earned some sort of rest, like we've earned some sort of coast. We know that you've got more in store for us. There is more to come, and there's nothing that you can't do and so God we submit ourselves to you today speak to us through your word and show us the answer to that question what now in Jesus name amen so the events we're covering today go all the way into the middle of chapter 8 from that moment we just read in in chapter 6 verse 15 Uh, we're not going to read every verse as we go a lot of them are actually a list of names that we'll talk about in a minute but I encourage you to read through those um, on your own you can almost read the whole book of Nehemiah in one sitting Get the background, get the flow of how uh, this goes together, uh, as God put it together in his word, by reading the whole thing at some point this week. But we're going to start again with this incredible pronouncement of the wall's completion in chapter 6, verse 15. It says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days, and when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So the first thing we see in this process, as soon as the completion of the wall is accomplished, what we see is that all glory goes to God. All glory goes to God. I love the way it's phrased in verse 16. The nations, these are the enemies of God's people, were afraid and they fell greatly in their own esteem. You know, as long as the wall was in rubble, as long as the wall was in ruins, they felt pretty good about their standing, right? You look over there and you're like, well, those people are done. Don't have to worry about them. And then here they come after 70 years back to the city of Jerusalem. They rebuild the wall and suddenly it's taking notice of God's people and God's power and what he wanted to do. And suddenly the Israelites are here again, which they have a lot of history. As you read through the Old Testament, there's a lot of history here between these nations And they were like, "Uh uh-oh, here's this powerful God showing up yet again. The miraculous completion of the wall gave them pause because it was obvious that God had worked in and through his people. It's a miracle that this group of returning exiles were able to rebuild this wall, and it could only have been accomplished with the help and the power of God. So how does that relate to us? How does that relate to Common Ground, Carson City, 2020? There's a lot of things you may not know about the things that happened in the background of us getting to the point where we are today with this building. But I'm confident saying this. This work has been accomplished with the help of our God. There's no doubt about it. Even the small pieces you probably know, the fact that we raised $800,000 in like six weeks, a church our size. That, that's nuts. People don't understand that. When I'm talking to the financial people uh, working through some of our paperwork on the loans and things, they're like, now where did that come from? I'm like, well, God did it. They don't really understand that. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. It wasn't me. <laughs> you know. God did that. Um, but I want to give you just a, a few quick facts to help you kind of wrap your mind around how much God accomplished. You've heard Derek say over and over, we weren't even looking. And I think When he says that, he kind of sells it short. We were against owning a building. Like, philosophically, it was not something we thought we were supposed to do as a church. That we were going to be more nimble than that. We were going to rent space. Uh, We were going to be good stewards of the finances. And by renting, we felt like that was the better way to do it. And the more we looked into it and the more we figured out, renting was actually more expensive. And so God kind of shot that philosophy out. And then someone said, you should consider buying uh, a property. Why wouldn't we buy something? It's going to be cheaper, and then you have a home base. And so that was a big shift for Derek and I as your pastors to make. We were not going to do that, but God made that shift. The obvious answer to our space issues, like I mentioned before, was just to rent the one next door. Why wouldn't the guy want to do that? That made all the sense in the world. But the more we looked into that, the more difficult that became. And like I said, that fell apart for several reasons uh, in just a couple of weeks. And then we thought we'd found the answer across town. We had the inspection, and that was obviously not the answer pretty quickly. And so the resources that God brought together, he brought together financial resources. He brought together expertise. He brought together people that understand what it means to to own a commercial building and what it's like to renovate. He brought together people with certain skills that could help us in specific areas of of putting this place together. For a church our size, the way this space has come together is nothing short of a miracle. And even a significant portion of that happened outside of us, that God used outside sources To say, this is something I want to do. And I want to expand on that real quick. Because if you were around during the fundraising, you know we had someone offer to match $250,000 that if we could, whatever we could raise as a church, Uh, they wanted to see the bank statement that showed how much that was, and then they were going to match it to the penny up to $250,000. Well, that right there is a miracle, but there's, there's some backstory to this that's really cool. That money had been in this family for a couple of generations. It had been set aside for the purpose of blessing a church or a church plant at some point in the future. They didn't know when. They didn't know where. They didn't know why. Um, but they had invested it. It had grown. And they felt like when they heard about our situation, this was the answer to what God wanted to do with that money, and so they freely and joyfully gave that matching $250,000. That's a miracle. It's it's a really cool story. Well, as you know, if you've bought any property or any buildings, there's quite a bit of processes you have to go through. You have to get an appraisal. Um, You have to all that stuff has to happen so you can close. Well, we got some really bad news one day on our appraisal. They're not going to count any of the improvements. They're only going to give you the appraised value of this as an empty shell. And so even though we had been planning, all the finance people told us your, your finances are good, you're approved up to this amount, we would, were not able to borrow that amount because the bank will not go above a certain percentage of the appraisal. So the appraisal really hurt us. And suddenly we didn't have enough money to do the renovations. And we didn't share this with anyone because we were freaking out and didn't know how God was going to solve it, (laughs) right? We had just finished asking you for 250,000 and we weren't about to turn around and go, okay, well, we need 200 more, Um, but God knew the answer. And there was a a meeting between Derek and and someone that was uh, dealing with the estate. Uh, They were executor of an estate in the area. That estate wanted to bless several different nonprofits in this area, and so they gave large amounts to several different institutions in our area. But at that meeting between Derek and that executor, an envelope was passed across that had a check for $200,000. Well, what they didn't know is that's the exact amount we weren't able to get because of the appraisal, give or take a few thousand, but it was really close. And suddenly God said, okay, Here, you have the money to continue doing the renovations so that that building can be used uh, for my people to meet and to be a home base to go out and fulfill that mission. That's a miracle. That That kind of stuff, well, I mean, it does happen. That kind of stuff happens when God decides to do it. Uh, It doesn't happen very often in my experience. Um, So God has truly worked. God has truly blessed common ground. We've crested the hill. We're at the top. The hard work has been done. God has accomplished it. And the temptation is going to be to coast down the other side. But that's not what God desires for us. As we sit here today, we must realize that everything that's happened could only have been accomplished through the help and power of God, and all glory goes to him. It's a perfect parallel with what happened in Nehemiah. They got their hands dirty, they did the work, but it was only accomplished because of the power of God and all glory goes to him. So we have to continue to seek him and ask this question, what now? What's next? And the second thing we see in these events is that God works through the continued faithfulness of his people. He works through the continued faithfulness of his people over time. Look at verses four and five of chapter seven. It says, the city was wide And large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, and then you start the list of names. So what's going on here? Well, my Bible has a little section header that gives a hint it says, The List of Returned Exiles. These are the people that had come back from Babylon to do the work. Of finishing the wall. They were the faithful that left their lives. They had been in exile for 70 years. So unless you were super young and had lived a long time, you didn't remember anything about life in Jerusalem. It was all stories. It was all things you you read from God's word um, that were passed down from your parents or your grandparents. But these were people that left everything they knew. They had built a life in Babylon. And they said yes to coming back to Jerusalem and being part of this building project. And Nehemiah wanted that list to be recorded. He wanted to know who that was that had said yes to the mission that God had given them. This list represents about 2% of the Jewish population that had been taken out of Jerusalem, that had been sent to Babylon, about 2%. It's the list of the faithful 2% that were willing to come back. There were no houses built. The wall was in rubble. They were willing to come back to a place they didn't even really know except in stories and be faithful to God and what God wanted to accomplish. This is the list of those 2% faithful. This is the list that I want to be on. And at the conclusion of this list, it states simply in verse 73, when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. That's also a little confusing. Why is that significant? Well, we keep talking about this month of Elul. That's the sixth month of the Jewish calendar. It's like saying June, okay? So on the 25th day of June, they finished the wall. Well, then it says the seventh month. This month of Elul had 29 days. It says when the seventh month came, they were in their towns. So, (coughs) excuse me. As soon, five days later, after finishing the wall, they settled. They were ready to see what God wanted to do next. They didn't say, oh, there's no houses. We got the wall done. Let's go back to Babylon. They settled. They were ready to stay and ask the question, what now? This work was really all about the people. It was about giving them a place to fulfill who God had created and called them to be. When that seventh month rolled around, they're asking that question, what now? Just like the building project we see here in Nehemiah, This building we're in today is about giving us a place. It's about people, a place to fulfill who God has created and called us to be. It's about people that need to know the saving love of God. It's about seeing his kingdom expand in our lives and the lives of those around us. It's the beginning. It's not the end. And it's why we continue to ask the question, what now? And it leads us to the third thing we see in these events. And that is that fulfilling God's purposes, being who he's called us to be, always begins with dedication to scripture. Fulfilling God's purposes, being who he's called us to be, begins with dedication to scripture. So the people have returned, they've completed the wall, they've set up their residence, and they're looking to know what should happen next. And what do they do to find the answers? They go to God's word. They look to Scripture. In Nehemiah 8, verse 1, it says, All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. I love this because it's the people's idea. It's not a leader telling them what they should do. It's the people's idea. We need to hear from God. We need to hear the word of the law that God had given to Moses. So Ezra the priest comes before all the people, and he begins to read the scripture. The people listen closely, but there's another really interesting dynamic that we see going on in this moment in verses 5 through 8 of chapter 8. It says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. Then he gives this list of names that are really hard to read, so I'm going to skip them. <laughs> but they were the Levites. Okay, the Levites were there um, milling around through the people, and they helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So Ezra's up on a platform reading from Scripture, but something else is going on too. The Levites are stationed throughout the crowd, helping the people understand what's being read, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. They're having a discussion. They're having a sermon-based small group right there in Nehemiah. And when God's people needed answers on what to do next, they went to Scripture, and they made sure they didn't just hear it, but that they understood by having the Levites guide the discussion of what was being read. This is exactly why we do groups the way we do. Scripture is the authority. We want to stand on its truth and not our opinions. We want to be dedicated to God's word. But we know it's not enough just to hear scripture because in order to put it into practice, we need to internalize it, we need to understand it, we need to apply it, we need to spend time pursuing God and his word and allow the Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us. But we also need to discuss with others... what it it means, how it impacts us so that we can get to that practical application of God's truth for our lives. And when God's people in Nehemiah wanted to know the answer to this question, what now, they went to God's word and it had a profound impact. They sought God in his word and they found the answer. And what was that answer? It was be obedient to God's commands. Continue to seek him and understand his word and honor him for who he is and all he's done. So here they are. They're getting to the top of that hill. They crest the hill of completing the wall. The choice was there before them. Do they coast, or does God have more in store? And God's word told them, there is more. Whenever you're seeking God, whenever you're serving God, there's always more for him to accomplish in and through you. I believe we're at that very same decision point. We're at the top of the hill. We're in the room. We've reached completion We've opened the space that God has provided, but this is not the end, it's just the beginning. We're going to continue to pursue God's purposes and his plans for how we want to align ourselves or how he wants us to align ourselves with his mission. Now's not the time to coast or feel like we've arrived or that we deserve to take it easy for a little while because of all that we've done. Now's the time to follow the same pattern as the Israelites with Nehemiah we first need to acknowledge that we have not accomplished anything, that all glory goes to God, because what has been done could only have been completed with his power and his help. Second, we understand that God works through the faithfulness of his people, so each one of us must be obedient to his leading, no matter what it means. We want to be on that list of the faithful, that group of 2% that were willing to leave everything they knew to come back and fulfill what God had called them to do. And the third thing, knowing that God speaks and moves through the understanding of his word, we dedicate ourselves to scripture to find the answers to the all-important question, what now? And that's not just a question about a building. That's a question we ask each and every day in our walk with God. Okay, God, what now? What do you want to accomplish today? What do you want to do in and through me today? As I think about our church and where God has positioned us over these last 18 months, I can't express how excited I am to see what he wants to do next. Because this journey has been super exciting, and he only wants to do more. But we must fight the temptation of feeling like we've arrived or accomplished anything. Because God has brought us together in this place at this time, to accomplish his kingdom work. Not to pat ourselves on the back. You see, patting yourself on the back, that makes it about you. That makes it about what you've accomplished, what you've done. And when you realize that all glory goes to God and everything was only done through him, it changes your perspective. It becomes about what's next. God, what's next for you that you want to accomplish in this place through these people. Isn't it exciting to think about how God could use us as a base to work through and reach out, to reach our city and beyond, to plant churches, to be part of funding church plants in other parts of the world or other parts of our our state or country. It's exciting to think about what God wants to do, and we've seen him work, and we know he wants to do incredible things. He's proven his power. He's proven uh, that he's in this. He's with us. And he's made a way for us to join him. He's calling each of us to be found faithful in our response to him. So I would just ask you to search your heart, wherever you're at, whatever role you played in this uh, project, whatever attitude you may have toward it. Let God speak to you this morning about the answer to that question What now? What now for you? What now for me? and what now for us as a church, as common ground. Let's pray together. God, I do thank you for today. I thank you for the, the privilege of being in this place at this time, in this group, knowing that you want to do great things, that you've proven your power, you've proven your provision, you've proven what the promise that Derek uh, mentions so often, that God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. So God, we know you're here, we know you're in the middle, and that this is not the end. So God, I pray that in this moment, as individuals and as a church, we would seek you, and that we would be ready to say yes to whatever you say in answer to that question of what's next. It might be something you want us to do in this room in the next few moments someone we need to pray with, something we need to say, maybe something we need to say to you. God, it might be something we need to do this week at work or to repair a relationship in our family. God, I don't know what the answer to that question would be for each person, but I pray, God, that we'd be ready to say yes to you, whatever that means, in Jesus' name, amen.